Hey everyone, welcome to episode 269 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by none other than Theo Bosboom. Theo's nature photography is widely regarded as being some of the best coming out of the Netherlands, and so it was a real honor to get him onto the podcast. Our conversation dives deep into Theo's history and his path into photography, and how he is able to create unique and visually complex images. Before we get started, I wanted to give you an update on Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. NPN is one of my favorite websites to interact with other photographers on. It is owned by two of my really good friends, David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick, who also support the podcast, and they are putting a lot of effort into implementing some fun changes and infusing a lot of energy into NPN. They have recruited several new writers, and their critique forum is exploding with action. I highly encourage you to become a member. Just look for a link in the show notes to get started. I can't wait to see you there and to see your work. Who knows? Maybe we'll get you on the podcast for a chat. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Theo Bospoon, it's so awesome to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Matt. Oh, of course, you know, always excited to get more European photographers on the podcast. Yeah, I saw in the list that we're we're still a minority, but uh, working on it. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. You know, it's a language barrier, time zone thing, but we're able to yeah. make it work. And so I'm super glad that we could find the time to do this. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy and uh, looking forward to our talk. So. Good deal. Well, let me just first say I really, really like your photography a lot. You know, it's super inspirational. It's um, I'm in this Discord channel and everyone's always talking about your photography. So you have a lot of fans out there, my friend. Okay, uh, that's good to know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, for, for people that uh, don't know you or aren't familiar with your photography, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I will. Um, my name is Theo Bosboom, or uh, in the Netherlands we say Theo Bosboom. So I'm from the Netherlands, born and raised on the coast uh, in a little town. Um, I moved to Arnhem, which is close to the German border, and I lived there now for 20 years. I have two daughters of 9 and 11 uh, who are also very interested in nature and also a little bit in photography. Um, I have a girlfriend. And, um, since, uh, let me count, nine years, I'm a professional photographer, um, uh, only uh, focused on landscape and nature in general. Uh, previously, I was a lawyer. I, was, uh, I have a legal training, and I've been a lawyer for 15 years in the field of uh, copyright, uh, which is still very handy every now and then. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, one of the few photographers that always hopes uh, that they steal my images so I can do the proper things. Right. Um, and I did some IT and internet law. And, um, well, that, that were both very interesting fields. Um, but, yeah, I, I was... Uh, looking out of my office window uh, a bit too often in the end, and um, no, uh, so I decided to uh, to change. Um, 
I started seriously with photography in 2003 when I took a two-month leave and went to Africa. Um, I did one month Namibia and one month Tanzania, both great countries. Um, uh, well, people told me in advance, if you only look through the lens of your camera, you're going to miss a lot. Um, but I found out that it was the opposite for me. Uh, it was my first trip uh, where I took a, a serious camera and a lot of slide films. It was back in the analog days. And I noticed that I um, was observing the landscape, the people, everything um, much uh, more careful and, and much more attentive than I used to, be, used to do on, on holiday trips. So for me, it was quite a yeah, discovery what photography can bring um, to enjoying a trip, to, to seeing things and uh, discovering things. And of course, you have the bonus when you're back that you can relive the trip and uh, have your memories uh, displayed in front of the, the big projector screen like it was in those days, um, seeing your slides. Uh, and of course, the excitement uh, after one or two weeks waiting till they were developed. Uh, but that was, yeah, for me, the start of photography. And then I came back in the Netherlands, uh, where we don't have mountains, we don't have giraffes or big cats. Uh, we don't have wild oceans or anything else that I uh, enjoyed so much in Africa. So I was worried that yeah, picking up a camera there would, would lead to nothing. Um, but uh, it was not as bad as I thought. Uh, I joined a local photo club who was um, also focused on nature. I, I met some interesting photographers uh, who made interesting work. Um, so I, yeah, I rolled into it and yeah, immediately got quite fanatic in it. Um, and yeah, it, it became yeah, like we say in, in Dutch, it came from worse to even worse. I don't know how to translate it. It's just <laughs> sort of saying uh, that it goes, um, yeah, it becomes stronger and stronger. And, uh, well, I, I was totally hooked up with photography. And uh, yeah, it was the only thing on my mind for uh, for a long time. You might, and, you might call, it, call it an obsession. Yeah, absolutely. It was an obsession and a, and a very positive one. It, it gave me a lot of energy. And uh, I actually, I uh, started to discover nature in the Netherlands properly uh, after I picked up the camera also in my own country. So, yeah, it, it was uh, really, really something that, uh, yeah, that made me very happy in, in many respects. And it still does after all those years so yeah that's awesome yeah yeah I'm, I'm super fascinated by your journey into photography and i'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about how and why you gave up your career as a lawyer to pursue full-time photography because i'm sure as most people who are either thinking about trying full-time photography or have already dipped their toes into full-time photography it's it's not super lucrative for most people so and it's not easy so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that, well, the same goes for me. I, I can be honest about that. Uh, I can still pay my mortgage and, and my trips um, and my children uh, 
they can go to soccer and uh, children's parties and stuff like that. So that's good. Um, it, it works, um, you could say. But obviously, uh, yeah, it, it was a big gap uh, from being a lawyer, especially because I always also uh, became a partner in a, a quite a big law firm in, uh, in Arnhem. Um, and as a starting partner, you come into a sort of scheme where every, every year you start to earn more money. And I, I quit um, at the moment that it became, that it would become really, <laughs> really good. <laughs> great timing. Yeah, great timing. <laughs> yeah, so it was yeah, not great timing from the financial point of view, but, um, yeah, like I said, I, I was so busy with photography in my head and um, try to to keep up appearances during the day and, and do my job properly. But um, yeah, it was starting to yeah to go wrong in my at, at least in my opinion. I, I don't think my clients noticed or my colleagues noticed yet. I mean, they knew I was happy with photography uh, but they thought it, it's more a hobby uh, for uh, every now and then a couple of hours uh, but I wanted to quit before uh, I would make mistakes or um, lose cases because my head was with photography and not with my uh, my lawyer's job I always liked it a lot um, it's much more creative than than people tend to think um, and, and it it has a lot of uh, interesting aspects as well. So I, I did it with a lot of pleasure every day. But yeah, photography was even better, I guess. It was uh, a sort of dream to become a professional photographer. And of course, I, I had some sleepless nights. And it, it took me quite some years uh, where I gradually grew into it. And then there came the point, either I make it a very small hobby again during holidays uh, and get back to, to, to reality and do my normal job. Um, or I take the plunge and uh, leave everything behind and, and go for it like a, like a blind man. Um, and well, this jump seemed very big. And uh, at first I thought I'd do it at 60 when I'm a, I'm a millionaire and there is no financial risk anymore. And then it became 55 and it, no, it, it got earlier and earlier. And then I thought, well, I'm still young, more, more or less, uh, and I'm still healthy and I have the, the mental flexibility that is probably needed for such a plunge. So I must do it as soon as possible. And um, if, if I want to really make a career in photography, uh, why wait? And I also thought when it doesn't work, I can always go back uh, to something legal. Uh, so it, it it, it was a big jump, of course. Uh, I left uh, some things behind. And, and sometimes when I look at, uh, at my bills and my paychecks, I can have a, a, a very slight touch of regret, but um, it, it only lasts two or three seconds. And then I look out the window and go out in nature and everything's fine again. So, um, yeah, that, that's more or less the story. And then I told... Uh, my partners at the office that I, I wanted to do this and I had taken the decision. And the funny thing was that many said to me, oh, I wish I had a dream like that and, or I wish I could do something like that, but but I can't or I don't want to or my my house or my second house is too expensive. And then I, I knew, okay, I, I really 
did the right thing. Um, and uh, from day one, I was so happy to 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 have time to do the projects that had been in my head for many years and, and try to take pictures that I had in my head for a long time. Uh, so you... it felt like a really, yeah, really good and nice decision. It felt like luxury. Um, yeah, you mentioned earlier you have two daughters, nine and eleven, I think you said, and. You know, I have a 14-year-old son myself, and mm-hmm. I've been kind of contemplating some of these same things for a few years now myself. And one of the things I always have struggled with is trying to wrap my head around how I would balance being a dad, being a father, yes. and being a photographer. So I'm curious, what has that looked like for you? Yeah, that that is a, um, a balance uh, that is very dynamic that you have to find every week uh, and uh, even every day. Uh, for me, it's even more complicated because uh, the mother of my daughters and I have divorced and uh, she is German and she went back to Berlin where she came from, um, where my daughters now also live. So I have a rather full scheme now where... Um, from every three weeks, I have my girls one week to take care of them and, and go to Berlin uh, so I can have them uh, with me. And then the other two weeks, I have to do my travels, and see my girlfriend in the Netherlands, uh, do my job. Um, of course, I, I can also work a little bit, do office work in Berlin when they're at school. But it's quite a challenging balance at the moment is a new situation since last summer and um yeah when i'm there of course i i uh, really want to be there for them i want to be their dad and listen to their stories and help them with their homework although my german is is not so good uh, so uh, <laughs> there, there will come a time very soon that i can't help them anymore with uh, with many things uh but i really enjoy being a dad and, and it was a decision that I, I, I made very uh, deliberately and, and uh, with my heart uh, 11 years or even more years ago. So uh, I still want to be it. And sometimes it's difficult. And of course, also from a financial point of view, um, when it would only be myself, um, yeah, life would be easier in this respect. But yeah, when I have to want to take the responsibility to be there also uh, for them from a financial point of view, and of course, I still live in the Netherlands. I have to rent an apartment in Berlin. It's quite challenging. So um, I have to uh, earn a bit more money than I did in previous years. That's my challenge for this year, um, and. It, I, I must say, I also uh, find that one interesting. Uh, the last eight, nine years, I've been very focused on making beautiful things, doing interesting projects, uh, don't worrying too much about uh, the income. Uh, of course, you always have to take care of it, but uh, it, it sort of uh, went automatically. But now I have to step up my game a little bit in this respect. And uh, well, then I also profit a little bit from my lawyer's background because I have some still some marketing skills, I hope. Um, and I can write pretty well because it, it was the main part of your job as a lawyer. So that, that really helps to uh, find new customers or find new ways to, to promote your work. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, that's, um, 
that's what I found for uh, people who have found success as a full-time photographer is that they typically have a lot of other skills that complement the photography in terms of writing or marketing or, you know, some people are just really good yeah. people person, people, people, you know, like they're super yeah. good at uh, selling themselves to other people and that kind of thing, you know, doing pitches and things yeah. like that. So I think that's really an important thing to factor in if, if you, if anyone else is thinking about making that a similar decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's not even only the marketing. It, it, uh, there are so many other skills that you need these days as a photographer. Also, I mean, uh, video editing, uh, putting your work on social media, uh, making presentations, telling stories, uh, pitching your projects, uh, funding your projects. Uh, there, there comes a lot more to it than just... Uh, pushing the button and uh, thinking about, <laughs> but it can, it can also be fun. I mean, um, I, I enjoy a lot of these things. Um, also for, for example, presentations, I enjoy to find the right music with the, with, to go with the images, something that many photographers are not that good in, in my opinion. Um, guilty, guilty, <laughs> guilty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see a presentation of you to uh, see if that's true or if you're just uh, modest, but, um, I, I, I like music a lot and, um, I think it can enhance your photography in, in a presentation if it's, uh, if it really fits. Uh, so these kind of things, yeah, they cost a lot of time. That's the that's the, the main problem with everything. Also with with editing, selecting, uh, joining contests, everything. If you want to do it right, and, and normally I want to do things right, it all costs a lot of time. So time is the the most uh, precious uh, good these days. I think. Yeah, I agree. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, you know, when I announced that you would be on the podcast, our listeners were super excited. And I think it's because your work is super original and, and very creative. And And I'm just curious, Thank what you. has been your approach to honing in on, the, on those qualities about your work? Um, well, it, it's, it is not a very uh, rational or, or it has not been a very rational process. I think it, it, it just happened to me in, in my first years. Uh, well, obviously, I, I had to learn um, the skills that every photographer needs to, to make interesting work. So the first years are for technique and uh, composition and stuff like that. But I think pretty fast... Um, I start noticing that not only my grandma, uh, mother, and uh, neighbor like my work, but maybe also some other people, other photographers. So that there was something in it, um, yeah, that people found interesting or, or fresh. Um, um, yeah, I, I think I had the luxury that in the beginning it it, it went more or less automatically. After I became a professional photographer. Uh, when you also have to sell your projects, uh, that there comes a rational component and a, and a planning and uh, decision-making part to it. For uh, for instance, yeah, are you going to do this project or not? It's not just pure your intuition as a photographer that it could be nice and it could be good, but also 
can I sell it later in, in whatever way? So, but in the first years, I, I didn't bother uh, with that logically, uh, as I still was a lawyer. Um, and I think uh, coming back to live in the Netherlands, I, I think it has influenced my work in uh, in a way that is both difficult and, and positive at the same time. I think I have a, a love-hate relationship with nature in the Netherlands because it's a very densely, a densely populated country. It's in the top 30 of the world with more than 400 people per square kilometer. Um, for, uh, in comparison, Iceland, for instance, has three people per square people uh, per uh, square kilometer. So it's more than 100 times as much. Um, and we have cities, we have roads, we have uh, factories everywhere, uh, which means that uh, nature is brought back to a, a couple of yeah, small stamps of, of green uh, in between the, the cities and the villages. And it also means that if you want to take a, a wide landscape image, uh, that you have to live with the fact that there will be a church tower or uh, electricity pole or a factory in it um, almost everywhere, also because Holland is, is a very flat country. Um, so there are no mountains to obscure things or to hide things. Um, this meant from the start for me that I, yeah, I had to work a little harder, I think, to make my nature in, uh, images interesting. Uh, this is also probably the reason that I focused from the start to the more intimate scenes because I, I wanted to leave the, the sky and the horizon out because they were, they usually, uh, contained disturbing elements that I didn't want in my image. So I had to be more creative and I had to be very carefully in my compositions. And I had to do a lot with not so much. Uh, if you understand what I try to say, um, you have to, have to yeah, literally work harder. And of course, this is sometimes frustrating. And, and when I see landscapes from the Southwest US, uh, then I can be a bit jealous. <laughs> uh, and I think, oh, what a richness um, to be able to to go out there and, and yeah, everywhere around you, it's beautiful and it's nature and um, it's great. And uh, yeah, even if you're in the middle of, of a national park in the Netherlands, you will always hear cars or planes or the human society is always close by. So that's a frustration as well. Um, I promised myself to to move to another country at one stage in my life, but here comes also the balance of being a father and uh, my own wishes as a photographer and, and nature lover. So probably will take some time, um, if ever. But uh, uh, this desire for for real nature is, is pretty strong and. Um, I think the skills that I learned in the Netherlands to be more creative, to watch more careful for interesting things without disturbing facts helped me greatly to, yeah, to photograph also when I'm, for instance, uh, in Iceland or on the Atlantic coast in Europe or uh, places that are really beautiful and wild. Um, so that, yeah. that's probably part of the story. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say, I've, I mean, I know you do, you take images well beyond just the Netherlands. I know you travel all over Europe for your photography and, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with your term over there is like honeypot locations. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I've noticed you don't really have like a whole bunch of that in your work. And I'm guessing there's some intentionality to that, but I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, well, it, it is partly intentional. I've, I've been to Iceland many times, which is obviously a honeypot uh, location and also very well known to European and, and even uh, American and other photographers that, that come from all over the world uh, because the landscapes are so spectacular and unique. Um, and I go to these locations sometimes with with groups or just by myself. and But... There is indeed an intentional uh, part of me that says I, I don't need to take images that have already been taken by others. Um, for me, photography is also creating and, and uh, creativity is for me very much, yeah, it's not shaking the camera or doing uh, difficult uh, double exposures to make something new for me. Creativity is creating something that, that is not there yet. So uh, an original composition it can also be creative, uh, even if it's uh, on a very well-known beach on Iceland. Um, so uh, what I sometimes do, uh, also when I go to a new location, because for my project I, I uh, yeah, visit uh, quite frequently countries that I've never been to before in, in Europe. Uh, I always try to see uh, what images there are of the places that I want to go to. Not, of, of course, also to see how beautiful it is, but also to uh, see what I don't have to do there. Because um, an image that has already been done uh, very well by another photographer, and especially an image that has already been done 10 or 100 or 1,000 times, yeah, why would I add uh, photo 1,001? Um, it doesn't make sense. I mean, sometimes it's helpful to show to your family where you've been because the intimate scenes uh, don't always show that. And for an article or a book, it can be good to have a, a sense of place and, and maybe also... Uh, for variety, some white scenes. Uh, I, I also try to take them every now and then. But yeah, I want to create my own work. So that is indeed uh, also uh, partly a conscience uh, part. And I think as a photographer, it's not only important where you take images off, but also where you don't take images off because with some images, you're wasting your time, in my opinion. Of course, it, this is... Uh, strongly related to how you see photography and what photography means for you. Uh, when I was just starting, it was also a way yeah, to go out in nature and enjoy nature and bring back memories. And then it's perfectly fine to, to take images that have been done before. Um, also, when you're still learning and uh, you, you're trying to test yourself, can I take an image like that? It can be very satisfying, but... Uh, yeah, there, can, there comes a point in time where you have to decide uh, what kind of photographer you want to be, especially as a professional photographer. It's maybe a bit like in music. Um, you can play covers uh, of other artists, uh, and it's usually the, the quickest way to uh, appreciation of the public. Um, 
or you can find your own road, which is more bumpy and uh, uh, yeah, doesn't always lead to success and recognition uh, in, in music. It's at least as hard as in photography, I think. Um, but yeah, in the end, it's it's what what suits you and and what do you want? Um, do you want to be the the Dutch Elvis or do you want to be uh, yeah something that creates uh, his own music or makes his own original photographs? Yeah, I think what you said earlier about thinking about how you want to be a professional photographer or full time photographer and how you're going to um, market yourself and I think that can drive some of that as well. You know, if you, if your goal is to, you know, do a lot of tours and, you know, teaching big workshops and, yep. um, or if you're selling a ton of prints in the United States, like typically those kind of go hand in hand with recognizable images that people want to go photograph as well. Yep. For sure. On the flip side of that, if you want to market yourself as someone who produces, very unique, evocative, thought-provoking work that might go well in a magazine or a book or, you know, potentially win competitions or whatever, maybe that approach that you're taking is more well-suited for for that type of success. Yes, exactly. That's well summarized, I think. Yep. Yeah, and it's, uh, Uh, it's not a value judgment on which one is better. Although, no, no, that, that's not how I mean it. It's just what works for me. And uh, of course, I, I do some workshops uh, too, for instance, to Iceland. And yeah, some of my guests are really happy to, to just be able to take the, the wonderful white fistas that I've seen in, in magazines or on calendars or uh, wherever. And uh, yeah, of course, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they are great and uh, it's sometimes challenging enough to uh, to realize uh, th- these kind of images. Uh, you shouldn't yeah. underestimate it as well. But uh, for me, yeah, uh, trying to to make meaningful work uh, for myself, which is usually the, the, my main guide, um, and yeah, also maybe to interest other people that that uh, that is what works for me, and that's what I always strive for. Indeed, I love that. Yeah, no, that's I, I, I try to, I do both because um, I enjoy both. That's cool. But, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. What I've heard a lot of photographers say about that more kind of unique, more intimate style that your work kind of embodies is that they either mm-hmm. can't see it or it's like this just doesn't come to them at all. So I'm curious for you, have you always found finding those types of images easy? <laughs> or or did you have to take a lot uh, of, you know, like what was your process for developing that style? Um, well, I think the honest answer is that I, I found it easy from the start. Um, or m- maybe not the very first period when I was uh, taking photographs, but maybe after two or three years. And everyone listening and, is like, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, but yeah, it is how it is, I think. Um, of course, I, I was also inspired by people like uh, Hans Strand, uh, the Swedish photographer who has been also in your podcast, uh, who is great in, in both aerials and intimate landscapes. I think I learned the term... Uh, intimate landscape from from his website by then and when I saw his work it it was a kind of relief for me I I remember that very well 
because it was okay to take these type of landscapes. Uh, it was a sort of recognition uh, that I was allowed to take this path. But um, no, for me, it's a very intuitive process. I go somewhere and I, I find myself uh, looking at the ground usually. Uh, and then I see a scene and, and um, usually I know within... Uh, seconds if it's interesting enough to to stop and uh, get my gear out of my back or that I need to keep walking and um, yeah also finding the composition is, is usually a very fast uh, process and what I find rather frustrating and, and my clients for sure as well that I have at workshops <laughs> is that I can't sometimes explain why uh, a certain scene can be interesting and how you should take the image well for me it's 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 so evident so i, I notice that i sometimes get impatient with people <laughs> say, why don't you see it um so that's not <laughs> it's good. right I, there I, I, it's right there it's right there come on <laughs> give me your camera um <laughs> so i'm probably not a very good teacher uh i already decided for myself but um and and sometimes uh people can perfectly learn it so it, it's also maybe yeah, it has to do, of course, with preferences. And, uh... Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, um, you know, I I started getting more and more into that style about five years ago now. Okay. And but I would say, so it's interesting, right? Because you hear people like, "Oh, you can't teach it," or you just either you have it or you don't. And I don't think either of those things are true. I think what it comes down to, at least in my opinion, is that it's all about how you practice photography. And um, mm -hmm. giving yourself the uh, being brave enough to fail and to try things yeah. out. And um, I think the more you practice it and, and try those types of scenes on, the more you'll just start seeing them. I, I know that was the case for me. Anyway, I, yeah. I couldn't see them to save my life literally for forever. And I just forced myself to try and just try, 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 try. And eventually, the more you do that and you're out hiking around or whatever, you, you just start to see stuff that you didn't used to, you know? And yeah, so I, I think it's, true. I think when you say like, oh, maybe I'm not a good teacher, I don't, maybe the teaching aspect is just showing people kind of that it's a, it's a process of practice and evolution. Yeah, that, I think that's right. Um, it, it, I have the same experience, for instance, when you do macro photography and you search for a certain butterfly or insect and you can't find them and you can't find them and you search for hours and then you see one and then after five minutes you see another and, and then you see them everywhere. It's, it's totally weird. And it's kind of the same maybe with intimate landscapes. Sometimes, um, yeah, uh, another Dutch saying, the, the coin has to drop. Um, and when the coin has dropped, um, people start to understand what it takes uh, to see them and to photograph them. And um, I think also that this is my belief in teaching also that Many workshops are focused way too much on, on things like uh, technical settings. Uh, now, composition is, of course, important, but um, I, I also strongly believe in um, what Ansel Adams said. I, I'm not a, a very big fan of Ansel Adams' work uh, because it's, it's obviously, uh, with our eyes from now, very classic. Um, 
but his quotes are, are really great and helpful when teaching. And, and one of his famous quotes, you will certainly have heard it. Um, you date, you don't take photos with a camera. Uh, you bring to the act of photography, uh, all the books you've read, the music you've heard and the people you've loved. I think that that is, that is a very wise, uh, quote. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's very, much fits to the way I see photography. It's, it's something personal. So you have to invest in yourself and you can maybe better uh, read three books about uh, Dutch master painters uh, or American abstract uh, painters um, or reading poems the whole day than uh, reading again how you should focus tech or uh, why F22 has some disadvantages uh, when it comes to absolute sharpness, etc., etc. We are so focused on this technical details and yeah, it's only a small part of the end result. I mean, you, you have to know your technique. Uh, it's like driving a car. You should do it without thinking too much, probably. But yeah, you can learn it in, in nah, maybe not one day, but in, in three days, these days with modern cameras. So, and then, then it becomes interesting. Uh, but a large part of the landscape and nature photography community, at least in the Netherlands, yeah, just likes to stick with this tech stuff and comparing the newest lens with the previous edition uh, to see if... Uh, uh, number three uh, in series is uh, which points it's better than number two um, and yeah this is not going to make the difference in your photography I mean it, of course again uh, it, it is what you want and uh, where you want to spend your time on but if you want to improve your photography I think focusing on other stuff would be more helpful and that is what I also try to explain in my workshops and, and also my, my talks. Um, I have become kind of infamous in the Netherlands because I always forbid people to, to take uh, images of certain subjects, um, famous places, or uh, for instance, kingfishers or wood anemones, things that every Dutch photographer uh, loves to photograph. And there are also books that say, uh, well, it's 15 April, you could uh, try uh, a wood animal now or uh, this flower. And, and I mean, there are maybe 3,000 flower uh, species in the Netherlands and only five or 10 of them get photographed. So uh, it, it seems very difficult to be, a uh, be original and creative, but uh, in fact, it's not because uh, there's so much that is still untouched because it's maybe just a touch less spectacular at first sight. Uh, so there's still a, a whole world to discover and to photograph, I think, which is good. Yeah, I'm curious. What do you think is the root cause of of that homogenization of, of what people tend to gravitate towards? You know, it's we see it over here in the United States as well. It's like, oh, there's that same photo that I've seen 15,000 times already and and, you know, it's, I guess maybe the longer you're in, in it as a photographer, you, you just, you've seen so much, but I, I, I I'm just curious what you, what are your thoughts on what some of the causes of that are? Um, well, 
There are a number of reasons, I think. Uh, one of them is obviously that some people just don't have a lot of time. Uh, they're, they have a family as well. They work hard and they have just this one week uh, that they uh, can make free for photography. And then, yeah, if you have to start scouting your own locations, then uh, the week might uh, pass very fast without taking any uh, beautiful photographs, which is, yeah, not what most people want when they have this week. They want to produce beautiful work. Um, so it's tempting to either go on a workshop with someone who takes you to a beautiful place and, and say where you can take wonderful images uh, or, yeah, try to see on the internet where those places are and, and try to reproduce um, the wonderful images that you've seen from it uh, or maybe not even 100% conscious, but it's somewhere in the back of your head and then you're there and you start to take more or less the same images. So that's for sure a reason. Um, uh, well, the workshops, the photo trips that are offered uh, are usually or very often to, to more or less the same places because they sell better. Uh, I notice myself too that when I have a, a workshop in a very obscure part of Iceland, that it's where there are no iconic uh, landscapes, that it's harder to sell. Uh, and usually it, it only fills up with people that have been to Iceland already a number of times that, and, and want to see a different part of the country. But if I put famous waterfalls and, uh, and the glacier lagoon in a tour, then it fills up really quickly and uh, it's easy to get new customers as well. So uh, that's the reason. Then there are the, the photo books, the magazines that usually also feature the, the same locations because they also want to have beautiful images that speak to a larger public and, and not just to some, yeah, smaller uh, group of more critical uh, photographers or photo lovers. Um, so this, this all works in the same direction. And then of course there's the, the feedback that you get on, uh, on social media or from friends. Uh, if I show a complicated intimate landscape that, uh, that I'm very happy with myself to one of my friends, then the chance might be that he uh, politely says that it's nice, um, but he <laughs> really. <laughs> but when I show an image of a famous waterfall on Iceland in, in beautiful light, then uh, he doesn't have to be polite because he, he will love it. Um, and of course, that that is a that is a pressure, especially when you start as a photographer, or maybe when you're insecure uh, where to go to, which direction to head to. Uh, this pressure can be quite uh, hard to uh, yeah, to suppress, and uh, social media has, has made this even worse. Of course, uh, the likes on Instagram or Facebook, um, yeah, become leading, um, and of course, many people are aware of it, but it's not the same as um, withstand it or, or going your own way. Uh, apparently, these. Uh, these uh, algorithms and uh, things uh, like Instagram have become very important in a photographer's life because it's one of the yeah, main things to measure if something works or not. Um, and uh, we used to have the photo clubs. I, I don't know if they're still very popular in the Netherlands, but oh, uh, sorry, in the in the States 
what you see in the Netherlands is that they become an, an old men's and women's uh, stronghold that, that sometimes are not on Instagram, but many younger photographers um, don't go to a photo club anymore. And then, yeah, it, it's your, your main feedback that you get on your work. Yeah, um, I think this all works in this direction that it's safer, better, and, and more rewarding to to go for the icons and the and the low hanging fruit and um, not yeah choose the difficult path of making more individual, more personal uh, work that is maybe less spectacular or, or uh, no, yeah, e not so easy to understand sometimes. Mm -hmm. No, I think that all makes sense. I, uh, I really appreciate, you know, your honesty about that. And I think everything you said makes a ton of sense. And I feel like every time this sort of this topic comes up, you know, you, people kind of either get really emotionally uh, upset by it or, and okay. then, or people well, get well. like, yeah, awesome. That's exactly it. And it's, it's so interesting <laughs> that people for whatever reason, some people just take it really personally that, because it's not like you said anything there that was like judge, judgmental, but that's what a lot of times people tend to hear for whatever reason. And I'm okay. also not sure about that. I'm, I'm not sure why that is either. Well, I, I can understand it in a way. Uh, it, it, it maybe feels like someone is, is lecturing you how to do their photography and, and that's not how I mean it. It's it's good that you uh, that you mentioned that. Um, I've, like I said before, everyone should choose his or her own path. And and um, if I would have only a week a year and was still working as a lawyer, I, I'd probably also go for the iconic landscapes and um, enjoy them and bring them home and show them to the world. Um, so. Uh, it's not that I uh, judge this as something that is wrong. It's just, um, yeah, a fact that a large part of the, the photography market in, in landscape photography is like that at the moment. Um, and yeah, I think professional photographers uh, should should take this decision which direction to go. Um, and well. You are one of the few probably that can do both, which is great. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, maybe this makes sense also because I think you, you, you do need both, even when your main path uh, is, is like with, in my situation, the, the, the more personal path. I, I also need sometimes uh, images that show the wild uh, iconic side of Iceland uh, because I, I want my tours also to fill up um, and uh, yeah sometimes a good uh, classic image uh, really helps in this respect yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. No, for me it's also important to, to have other work um, that ends up in my portfolio where I can show my, my personal journey in photography my my personal curiosity to the natural world and, and to try new things and show new things and, and maybe also inspire others by that, um, which is also ni nice, of course, when that works. Yeah. And I, I love what you just said and I totally agree with everything you just said. I think uh, one thing I would add is that I think it's, um, it's a bit of a misconception out there that you can't make personal unique work if you don't have 
um, if you only have a week a year or whatever, I think, I think that's just not true. I mean, it's, I, I know for myself, I mean, I work full time myself. I, you know, it's just, it's, if, if it's something that you value and you seek it out and you give yourself mm-hmm. time and patience and a longer time horizon to work towards it, it's completely achievable. It's, it's not impossible. It's just, you have to make no, a concerted sure. effort to, uh, to do it. For sure. No, that, that, that's, you're totally right in that. It's more that it's, um, you need to take this decision and, and it probably costs a bit more time and effort to do so. Um, but it's, it's certainly not impossible. No, I totally agree. Um, well, last year, uh, you submitted a really awesome project to the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. Uh, can you tell us what that project was and what inspired you to work on it? Yes, of course. Um, it's, um, it is a project where I'm still working on, and it's about European canyons. Um, I noticed that uh, many people, even in Europe, can mention uh, the Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon and probably a lot of, or at, at least some canyons in the United States that are world famous for obvious reasons. But when I ask the same European uh, to mention five canyons in Europe, it becomes really quiet. Um, maybe they know Gorge du Verdon in France and, and maybe... Uh, one or two others uh, at the best, but um, it, I found out that people don't know about our canyons and uh, there's a real uh, beautiful diversity in canyons. We, we have many countries also in Eastern Europe, which is um, not so well known to most Europeans, the, the countryside there, um, which are really spectacular Um the second largest canyon in the world is in Europe, in uh, Montenegro, uh, a fact that many people don't know. Uh, so I thought, well, it can be really interesting to explore these canyons. Um, also because I like water, I like mountains, I like rocks. Um, they provide great opportunities also for, for the more abstract and intimate scenes. So uh, the vegetation is often very interesting uh, because they have to deal with these uh, steep um, walls and and water and rocks. Uh, So a lot of it um, came together and I decided to make a project out of it, a book project uh, that I'm still working on for uh, at least two more years. Um, But when the Natural Landscape Awards came on, I, I thought, well, I give it a shot with what I have till now because um, I, I really like uh, project and portfolio categories. I think uh, they, sh- they give photographers an opportunity to yeah, show a little bit more of yourself. And um, I know uh, also from, from my workshops, I, I have a workshop. It's called My Project, which runs for a year and, and uh, participants work on a project for about a year under my guidance um, and I see that that it's really difficult to to make a cohesive body of work with on the other hand enough variety um, and I, I find this a, a very nice challenge myself too so I wanted to submit something and I thought it, this this could be suitable and of course I knew well it, it will not be perfect yet because uh, I, I could work for two more years on it and submit it then but uh, impatience uh, won it here, and uh, I uh, just submitted uh, the body of work. 
One of one of the things that I really enjoyed about your project was the description that you uh, made with it, where you talked a little bit about kind of the mythology and history about just around canyons and how they relate to humans. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, well, there are many interesting aspects on canyons. Uh, one, of course, is that yeah, most of them, the vast majority, is um, created by water over a long course of time. Um, I think probably my book will be called uh, "Carved by the River" or so, um, because yeah, rivers make canyons. Um, so it's also a look into the history of, of the world, uh, into geology. Um, I'm a simple lawyer, but I, I try to learn things about the world and the natural world as well every now and then. And geology really interests me. Um, and what I found out and, and what's, yeah, it, it could provide an extra layer to the project and, and to the book as well is that people have been yeah, maybe scared or full of respect for canyons uh, in, in, in uh, previous uh, centuries because, for instance, in, in many canyons in Europe, you will have a, a devil's bridge or a devil's gate or um, yeah, names like that um, that probably point out that uh, some awful things have happened there in the past or people might have died. Um, another interesting thing in, in Dutch is also... Uh, the Dutch word for canyon is kloof, and it means also the gap that can arise between two people or two groups of people. So there's a, a yeah uh, an interesting psychological meaning also to this word, and I, 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 I'm still struggling a bit with it. What I can do with it in a, from a photographic point of view, but I think it, there's a lot of elements that uh, that makes this project rewarding um, and it's wild nature as well uh, you really have to take care in canyons I, I found out also last summer I wanted to go to a German canyon the Höhlental Klamm um, which is quite a large one near the highest mountain in Germany and I, I packed my gear I put on the alarm and then uh, took one more look at the weather forecast and I saw hmm um, a lot of rain very locally and uh, maybe some uh, thunderstorm. So something in me said better not go. And then I decided to postpone my tour to a couple of days later. And next day I got a message from someone who knew I was going there that there had been a, a big wave, uh, a big flooding, and that two people died and uh, 10 people were rescued by helicopter. So, uh, it, yeah, it was really weird. It came suddenly uh, pretty close. And I, I always have to take care, of course, in nature. Also at my previous project at the Atlantic Coast, um, where uh, you have to take care at some locations. But uh, this for sure goes also uh, in canyons. There's, there's no escape when you're in there and the water rises. So uh, you have to yeah, do proper planning and uh, use your your brains every now and then. Yeah. That's funny when I read, read that about canyons, having the name that's, you know, has a, you know, about the devil or whatever. I started thinking about it for canyons that are around here. And I was looking at the map and I'm like, Oh yeah, like they all have these, 
these negative yes, names it's, attached to it's them. the same yep yeah it's really interesting yeah it's it's kind of weird i mean they they are beautiful but um i think yeah it was mainly a nuisance in former days because you couldn't come from one point to the other because always this canyon in between uh, and, yeah. and probably it, it, it was quite dangerous to to cross them uh, in previous years or to cross the rivers. So I can understand some part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Even the river that's the cup cuts through the town I live in, um, in Spanish, it means like the river of souls because people have okay. you know, died. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's just interesting how that it gets attached to the names, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that it that seems to be worldwide uh, the yeah. same then. So it's yeah, apparently river, rivers and canyons is to kill a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great idea to make a book about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 great, great idea. Yeah, great Positive. Idea. <laughs> uh, well, you know, yeah. you seem to really enjoy working on projects uh, that have a, a distinctness to them. And I'm curious, uh, how did you find yourself working in that particular way? Uh, well, I think it was one of the the things that I wanted to do um, when I became a professional photographer. The things that I, I had been thinking of when I still was a lawyer, because I, I really like uh, to have time for a project uh, so it can grow in many ways. Um, I'm not a type that knows in advance, oh, I want it like this or I want it like that. I, I heard your podcast with Sandra Bartocha that she had uh, mood boards for every chapter in advance. And uh, for this region, we do this and the light in this chapter needs to be so and so. I'm, I'm totally different. I, I usually start with a general concept, a theme, and then just go to some interesting locations, um, see what I like, take images and then starts to grow and then halfway I, I adjust the theme a little bit and um, well it's 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 work in progress and um, that that's yeah a very attractive way of, of doing my work because uh, I don't like time pressure when uh, taking images uh, also because I'm yeah, pretty critical it, it needs to be very good and uh, the, the next project always needs to be better than the previous one, which is, of course, not possible, but it's at least how you how you would like it to be. Um, so taking my time and also taking time in between photo tours, um, let the work lay down a little bit and, and work on other projects in the meantime and then pick them up and, and make a fresh start uh, also in my head. It, it really works for me. Um and I, yeah, the end product, which is usually a, a nice photo book, um, is, is something that I can be really happy with and, and proud of. Uh, it's a totally different way of presenting and showing your images, and you can put so much more in it. I think also with texts and, and yeah, all kind of choices that you have in this creative process of making a book and it's also nice to do it with with someone creative like uh, like sandra who did my um, shape by the sea photo book the design and, and the image sequencing together with me and also on my new book uh, that 
is due to come out somewhere in the coming months when there is paper again available, which is quite a problem in, in Europe at the moment, uh, which is uh, called Back to Iceland uh, and, and will show a lot of my Iceland work also combined with some personal stories. Um, so yes, I, I really like to work on uh, on projects and usually I've done some smaller projects in the Netherlands, more for articles or uh, maybe print selling or just f sometimes for newspapers, um, more towards journalism. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I have a couple of projects kind of in the back of my head that I'm sort of working on at any given time, but my focus is a little bit, how can I say this? Um, I'm easily distracted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I definitely want to try to do a little bit more um, focused projects that kind of have more of a concise and cohesive feel to them. Yeah. What I also like in, in addition to what I already said is that it also gives a bit of focus in the field um, because there's always so much to like and so much to photograph and <coughs> pardon. Uh, this can also make your work less cohesive. Um, and if you have a, have a specific theme, then it's clear where you will be working on. And uh, well, it, it also gives a, a sense of relief sometimes that you don't have to work on all those other things that are possible at the same time, uh, because I, I always see many possibilities and, and yeah, I could do 20 projects at the same time, uh, but it, it doesn't work. I need some, some peaceful state of mind and a focus to work on something specific and it brings out the best results for me. Brilliant. So try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, try it and submit them to the natural landscape photography awards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of that, you know, we're super excited. You know, we invited you to be a judge this year for the Natural Landscape Photography Awards, and we're super thrilled to have you on board on the team. And And I'm curious, uh, what about judging this competition excites you? Well, I, I am indeed excited and honored as well, because I think it's, uh, it, it's a really nice uh, new competition and uh, I'm really blown away, uh, not only by the winners, but also by the the not winners that you uh, still post on, on Instagram uh, very frequently, uh, and which gives a very good impression of the overall quality of the work. So it, it's really a treat to see all these images. And at the same time, I'm, I'm starting to worry, uh, how can we ever choose the right ones from all these brilliant uh, work that is submitted it will, oh my will gosh. be a challenge as well it is yeah, it's um, really oh, hard it really oh is. my gosh indeed <laughs> um but i i always enjoy uh, judging photo competitions i've, I've been a judge at uh, wildlife photographer of the year uh, in london for a week with fifty thousand images from yeah, the best photographers nature photographers in the world so that was really a treat because you see so many great images, uh, so many areas that you've never heard of or been to. Uh, and I expect, uh, of course, yeah, the same here with landscapes. Uh, there will be a lot of variety. Um, I think the, the the contest has established itself really well in the first year. And uh, I think many 
many photographers will join again and, and many new people will join. So uh, I expect a lot of good work. And I also like the, the discussions with uh, fellow judges um, fighting for the, for the images you like and uh, discussing why something yeah, should be awarded or should not be awarded. Uh, this is very inspiring for myself too. I, I always learn a lot uh, when I hear other people fight for images that I, I didn't feel were very interesting at first sight. And sometimes you still feel so after uh, hearing the plea of your fellow judge after 10 minutes. But sometimes you start seeing things that, that you missed and you say, wow, ah, you're right. Oh, that's incredible. And that that's a really nice process. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Bring them on. Uh, we have to be a little bit patient, but uh, the time flies. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, by the time this episode is released, we have will have opened up the competition for year two, so... Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect timing, actually. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Well, you know, what what qualities do you feel that winning images should have in a competition such as ours? Um, well, it, it, it will probably come not as a surprise that for me, creativity and original uh, views are highly appreciated. Um, it doesn't have to be intimate landscapes and, and no. We have categories, uh, so um, you can submit all kind of work. But um, I think the main thing for me is, yeah, to to see fresh work that surprises me, that um, yeah, stops me in my tracks and, and makes me curious. Um, and well, this seems uh, easy, but uh, I realize that it. It's not that easy these days with such a, an overload of great images every day. Uh, so many great photographers out there. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is important. Of course, the image needs to be good in, in, in uh, terms of composition and technical skills. But I had the feeling, judging previous competitions, that that this is not where the decisions are taken. Yeah, maybe the first round, um, some images will will be taken out uh, because they they are very unlikely to to get awarded. But the remaining images, and that will probably be thousands, uh, that are are still good and, and technically very okay and, and beautiful. Uh, yeah, their originality, the the surprise element. Um, uh, will I be touched by an image? Does it speak to me? Yeah, these are all things uh, that, that that are important and can make uh, an image rise above uh, the others. Yeah, those are the those are the same qualities that I'm typically looking for as well. It's uh, it makes it hard though, you know, because you see something that's absolutely beautiful, um, perfectly executed, but it's something you've seen many, many, many times over. And so that, and yeah. that, you know, it's kind of disheartening. You're like, Oh my gosh, that's an amazing image, but it's like, it's just like 15 others that are also submitted. So it's, it's really trying exactly. to filter, filter it down to the stuff that that's really special. And that's, that is a, that's a huge challenge. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, I think it's good that the, the jury is quite extensive. Um, it's not just three people or so. We have quite a, a good base also divided um, among several countries and, and several styles and uh, uh, several experiences. So then you have a, a good mix of people that can do justice to, yeah, to many sort of types of images uh, and not just one style because uh, i mean it's no science uh, there's a large subjective element in judging competitions um, so uh, when you have more people then you have more personal um, preferences and, and you can come to a good balance which will provide a good overview of, of landscape photography natural landscape photography uh, in 2022 what uh you know you didn't win. And so I'm curious from your perspective, what benefit do you think there is in entering a competition like the NLPA? What what do you think people's expectations should be or what, what do you think people would look to get out of something like that? Um, yeah, it depends probably a bit on the, on the stage in your career where you're in, but, uh, I think many people yeah, seek some kind of, of recognition, um, starting photographers or, or less experienced photographers, um, might hope that uh, doors will be opened, uh, with success and competitions. I must say it, it, it really worked for me in the past uh, because I've, I've been quite successful in competitions like European Wildlife Photographer of the Year and also sometimes in Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Um, these images are, are seen by many people and are published by many magazines. And, well, it, it surely helped me uh, to get noticed and to get my work noticed. Uh, what I also like about uh, getting awarded in competitions is that your work gets a new platform. Um, also, for instance, when you have yeah, something important to say or you have a conservationist message in your images, uh, well, it's great that they, they are awarded and seen by a whole lot of new people. Um, so it's an extra layer of exposure that you can get. Um, and of course... Yeah, some people also want to see where they stand in the field of, in this case, landscape photography. Um, how do I uh, do, how do my images uh, stand out in the crowd? Um, where do I have to work from it? It's also something that can uh, help you further to develop as a photographer, I think. And one of the things I like about natural uh, landscapes is that uh, you get some pretty good feedback uh, afterwards. Even if your images were not awarded, you can see how far they got and uh, how they were appreciated. And that's that's really, really helpful, I think. Um, so you can see uh, I have to work on this and uh, maybe yeah, try this style a, a bit more and, and leave this. Uh, so it's really helpful. It, it's actually uh, yeah, good feedback that you're getting. Perfect. I love it. Well, I want to learn a little bit more about your coaching sessions and, for photographers and also um, what sorts of things do you work on with people in those and what is your approach as a coach? <laughs> um, yeah, I started coaching uh, maybe two years ago. In addition to my uh, my workshops, um, 
this was partly due to um, COVID-19, uh, which uh, speeded up online uh, um, feedback and, and uh, tutorials and uh, coaching. Um, but I also noticed that um, many, I think my workshops always um, are pointed a bit towards more experienced photographers that are uh, seeking their own style, uh, trying to distinguish themselves as a photographer, try to work, uh, try to make their work more personal. Uh, I, I don't do beginner workshops anymore because I don't find them interesting for myself. Um, not, not inspiring. And, um, I thought, well, there comes a stage, um, in, in every photographer's career, uh, professional uh, amateur or, or something in between that you yeah, that you've learned enough uh, enough skills enough input from the creative side and and that you just want feedback on your work uh, because feedback is very valuable uh, that's what I think myself too uh, I, I work together with a couple of friend photographers and we give feedback on each other's work uh, frequently. Um, and I always learned from that uh, because they are good uh, advanced photographers themselves and, and they're honest with me. Uh, and it's, yeah, sometimes it hurts to get criticism on your babies uh, that you were so happy with. Um, it's just like someone criticizes your, your own children. Um, but in the end, you, you learn from it. And, um, yeah, you maybe are able to to, to progress and um, become even better. And I think there are many aspiring photographers who are in a, in a similar situation that uh, don't need to follow another group workshop uh, again, but still like to have uh, personal feedback on their work. So I think coaching is a great tool for that. And uh, what I do offer now as a sort of, a coaching model is uh, one feedback session a month from uh, one hour via Zoom uh, and uh, also room for additional questions by email in between. And uh, sometimes we work on, or we, uh, the photographer works on a project and I say, well, you need this and have you thought about that and, and what do you want to say and what do you want to achieve? Uh, sometimes it's just feedback on individual images Um for instance, when the photographer is, is maybe a bit uh, less experienced and, and, and still is insecure if the pictures uh, are good enough and if they could be stronger or, or more expressive. Um, and I find that I, I really like to do this because it's uh, personal. You get to know a person much better uh, during the course uh, of a coaching session. Um, it's more challenging for me too, because you, you are not reproducing your same old story, uh, that, that you do with workshops that, that have been in your portfolio for many years. Uh, but you yeah, have to look carefully at the work someone submits and you have to listen carefully to, to what he or she wants to learn. And, uh, well, you can bring in your own experiences and your own views and yeah, it's, it's more a dialogue as well 
uh, I think uh, that that's what's also uh, what I like. So I started to do it with with Dutch clients, and I, I also do some uh, some uh, foreign uh, clients as well now. And uh, yeah, it's it's a nice mix of people and experience and less experience, and I really enjoy these sessions and. Now, a practical advantage for me is that I also can do them from Berlin if I'm there with my girls and they uh, they oh, fall right, yeah. asleep at, uh, well, they should go to bed at eight. So sometimes they don't make it, but uh, shortly afterwards, uh, they should should be asleep and then I can do a coaching session or, or in the morning when they are at school. So uh, it's also practical for me uh, uh, so that I can do some of my work uh, when I'm there. Uh, but the main reason is that I really, uh, really enjoy it. And, and my clients too, they're, they're very happy so far, or at least that's my impression. <laughs> right, right, right. That's not like they would tell you, that was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they just would yeah. stop coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, we'll, we'll have to find out in the future. <laughs> yep. Right, 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 right. And then also uh, tell us about the books that you have available and what what, what are some of those about? Yes, um, I have made uh, how many? Uh, three uh, photo books so far, and, and one learning book. But it's in in Dutch, so I won't bother uh, your listeners with that. Um, my first book was about Iceland, but it's it's sold out and it's it's old, and it will be replaced by the new one uh, this uh, yeah, hopefully this spring or summer. Um, then the second one was uh, made in my own country and it's called Dreams of Wilderness. Uh, and it, it's about my search for wilderness in my densely populated uh, home country, the Netherlands, uh, and also my search to be creative as a photographer. Um, <coughs> part of the images are, are for instance, taken uh, with an underwater camera. It's kind of landscape photography um, uh, underwater uh, with a project that I called uh, the journey of the autumn leaves um, where I tried to photograph autumn underwater um, which, which was really challenging but also really nice to do and then I think well, my favorite book so far is uh, Shaped by the Sea that's about the Atlantic coast in Europe um, so from basically from Portugal in the south uh, to northern Norway and also countries like Scotland and Ireland and Iceland and the Faroe Islands, are really wild places. And, and the main theme was, uh, because I, I didn't just want to make a seascapes book about the Atlantic coast, I, I wanted to have something extra. Uh, so the main theme is what the sea does to the landscape. And uh, this is then both on a very short term uh, like the wave that makes beautiful sand patterns that disappear after five minutes and that they're all unique, like fingerprints. But also yeah, the way uh, rocks and, and sea stacks are eroded during uh, centuries, thousands, maybe millions of years uh, by the tides and the sea and, and uh, the weather. Um, so it, it's almost visible in every image uh, in, in many different ways. It can also be seaweed that is uh, washed up on the shore and ends up in the tidal pool. There are also some, some creatures of the, 
intertidal zone uh, like limpets and, and stuff like that. So it was a project very close to my art also because I was born and raised at the coast uh, in the Netherlands. Um, so when I smell the salty air, I, my heart makes a jump. And um, well, it, it, it's also, yeah, it's a very dynamic environment. The coast is always happening so much and there are so many uh, yeah, subjects to photograph, so many uh, options for intimate landscapes and also wide landscapes. So it was a project that, uh, that I really enjoyed and that, that was also pretty successful from a, a commercial point of view. Uh, it has been shown in Musea and in Germany and it has been shown on many photo festivals in Europe. And uh, the book is, is usually uh, uh, highly appreciated and, and I'm, it's three years old now and I'm still, uh, still very happy with it. So um, there you go. And then uh, in the future, uh, the near future, the, the second Iceland book, Back to Iceland, and then the, the Kenyan book. But uh, this will take probably two or three more years uh, till I'm satisfied. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah and how, 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 uh, how dense are these books that we're talking about? Sorry, how dense? What do you mean? Like how many pages are they? Um. I think the first ones were 144 pages and Shaped by the Sea and the new Iceland book are 176. Okay. So they're a bit, uh, a bit thicker. Yeah, they're, yeah. Yeah. That's about what our book is for the competition as well. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah, I think it's a good size. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Theo. Well, who would you recommend for our listeners? Who should we have here on the podcast or who should we look at? for inspiration? Uh, yeah, that was an interesting question. And I, I put some time in that. Um, and I ended up with uh, five European photographers also to bridge the gap a little bit, maybe. Um, I, th I think it's interesting to see also the, the difference in style between European and American photographers. Uh, it, it's maybe a bit similar to the style in uh, what you see in movies, uh, the European ones are are more <laughs> more depressive and uh, don't have a don't have a happy ending all the time. Um, so, and of course, yeah, Hollywood is, is is a bit different. I think you can see it a little bit in photography too. Um, so these guys um, reflect that as well. Uh, the first one is uh, Stian Klo. He's a Norwegian photographer um, who, who started. Uh, mainly with white landscapes, but uh, no, yeah. like many others in, in recent years, he, uh, he, he found out uh, intimate landscapes as well, but he, his style is really original and creative. I, I really like his work a lot. Uh, he's a nice guy as well. Uh, then we have Trim Ivar Bergsmo. He's all, also from Norway. Um, I think he, his project was awarded in the, in your competition as well last year. And, well, um, he is special for, for many reasons. And one of them is that I, I found out today that he had spent four months in hospital fighting against uh, COVID-19 really badly, been on intensive care, but now he's out, he's, uh, he's back with us again, uh, luckily. So I, I hope he's, uh, he's fully recovered. <coughs> then we have um, Fortunato Gatto. 
is an Italian photographer, uh, but I think he lives, or at least he lived in, in Scotland on the, on the west side. Uh, he just won the tr uh, Traveler of the Travel Photographer of the Year competition, the, the main award. Um, um, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he has a very good eye and he, he makes uh, work that I can immediately recognize. Um, he's a really nice guy as well. So I think he's a really interesting photographer. He's pretty well known in, in Europe. Uh, I don't know if the American people already uh, found him, but I think they, they should give it a try. Um, then we have Harold Heitman, which is the third Norwegian in, um, in my list. Uh, he also works together sometimes with Stian Klo, and uh, he just produced a very nice book um, about his, his uh, home area in Norway. Yeah, Heim, H-E-I-M-E. Heim, yeah, exactly, yeah. yes, yeah. which is just really, really a wonderful work. And then the last one is uh, George Popa, who is a dentist from Romania, who produces really stunning uh, abstract work. Um, most of it is taken at just uh, one place in Romania, a lake, um, but he, he really managed to, to make the best out of it. And all of his work is very unique because uh, yeah, there are not many photographers in Romania. And uh, he really got a very good eye for, uh, for abstracts and, and details in the landscape. Um, and he's also quite successful in, in competitions, especially in Europe. So it's a name that you see pop up uh, regularly in the last years. Yeah, and he's photographing like pollution or something like that, isn't he? Yeah, he, he did a project. Uh, I think it's called Poisonous Beauty, uh, close to a mine, and uh, he photographed uh, deposits in the water and so on, with really crazy colors. And I think it was even published in National Geographic magazine. Um, so it, it really, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks, Theo. This has been. Super fun, and um, we'll look at that. We almost we lasted almost an hour and a half. <laughs> okay, that that was easy. Um, yeah, time uh, yeah. flew by. So uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, me as well. Thank you so much. Thanks to Theo for joining me on the podcast today. It was a real honor. I can't wait to see what new work you produce in the coming months, and I'm excited to work with you on the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. I'm really pumped to see how your views and opinions as a judge will shape the results of the judging process. Speaking of NLPA, we've officially opened as of June 1st and will close on August 31st. We look forward to seeing your awesome submissions. We've expanded our prizes to over $17,000 and we have created several new special awards to entice you. We also just released two critique recordings with judges Sandra Bartoka and Alex Noriega that are worth checking out, so I'll link those over in the show notes. If you enjoyed the conversation with Theo, you can join us for a long bonus recording over on Patreon all about copyright. Since Theo is a former lawyer, I thought it might be great to talk to him about this particular topic in detail. For as little as $5 per month, you can support the podcast on Patreon and check out over 190 bonus episodes. 
For $10 a month, you can get, get early access to all of our episodes. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show, including our newest Patreon supporters, Chris Steves and Morgan Carmont. I really appreciate you. Next up on the podcast, we sit down with American Southwest photographer Colin Sillerud for a great conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing that one. We also have already recorded with Tristan Todd as well, so keep your eyes peeled for those early releases over on Patreon. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week. Thank you.